stopped, get him stopped. God and Moses both in a sidecar could not drive a sprint car with a thousand horsepower. I swear to God, he's done a double somersault backwards. My car will go past wide open. Uh, my 50,000 came in a Twinkie box. You know, I get my jollies off over looking at a nice car wash. You know, he's going to crash your shit, but he's still, he's still got great stories. Oh, they disappeared. Oh, I'm leading. <laughs> I'm leading. <laughs> you plated your old ball sack and you just freaking let it eat. It's all goddamn assholes and elbows. And if you ain't right, They'll send your ass to the rear. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Open Red, the official podcast of the World of Outlaws, NOS Energy Drink Sprint Cars. As always, my name is Rob Blount from Dirt Vision, and joining me via telephone this week, uh, because he's out on assignment, is the PR god of the World of Outlaws, Nick Graziano. Nick, how's it going? Oh, it's going great, you know, enjoying this nice, warm Illinois weather. How's it going there, Rob? Uh, it's nice, warm, humid North Carolina weather, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's going, it's going pretty well. Uh, what, what are you doing out in Illinois on, on assignment? So the summer nationals, uh, started this week for, uh, dirt car late models and modified. I always had this idea to, uh, do a story where basically I kind of joined a team as their crew member, uh, as such. And just kind of see what it's like behind the scenes. And I had this crazy idea to do that for a week on the Hell Tour with a team. And uh, Bobby Pierce's team was kind enough to let me join them this week. Um, so I've been hanging out with them kind of as their uh, voluntary crew members. Uh, I spent the day with them uh, that Monday, kind of all day. We we're helping to get the car ready. They had part of the rear clip cut off. So we we're re- rebuilding that, building body panels, building. Uh, mounts and uh getting the car ready kind of or up until i don't know one one thirty in the morning getting it ready then yesterday we were at brownstown for the first uh race of summer nationals and it won yeah i'm gonna say maybe maybe because i was on the team maybe brought a little <laughs> bit of a pr good luck there but i don't know but no it's, it's really cool it's really cool experience uh it's gonna be a fun story to write it's uh you definitely appreciate a lot of um, what goes on behind the scenes. Just uh, you really see what a win means to the crew, why it means so much to them. And just, uh, you know, the pace of that goes much faster when you're busy working on a car. I don't think people kind of get that sense. You know, they're sitting there maybe watching and you see race to race. But when you're working on the car, it's like, oh, crap, there's another race coming up. We got to get ready. That's awesome. Bob, not to get too deep into late model talk uh, on Open Red here, because you can hear plenty of late model talk on Stick Signals, our sister podcast here, uh, the uh, uh, official late model podcast from the World of Outlaws, uh, hosted by uh, James McMahon and Ruben Morellis. But, I mean, Bobby's got a ton of wins on the Summer Nationals Tour, and adding another one last night is always special for that group, and it's really cool that you got to be a part of that. Yeah, it was really cool. Uh, I guess he tied, I think, Scott Bloomquist last night for, like, fifth all-time with, like, 28 Summer Nationals wins. So, yeah, it was a really cool experience. Uh, um, yeah, I might have to retire as a crew member now, you know, one for one. So, it's pretty good stats already. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to reading that story uh, when you're done with that. Maybe, maybe I'll get a little sneak peek or something. I could be your editor for you if you want. Uh, yeah, just saying. Work something out. Or, or if you want, I could just wait until it's posted, like every every other person out there. That's fine too, I guess. Yeah, maybe I can give you a little teaser here. <laughs> uh, this past weekend was a lot of fun on the the sprint car side of things. For sure. Uh, went back to the uh, Knoxville Raceway Friday and Saturday night. 
Um, what a weekend for Carson Macedo. Man, you know, speaking of good luck, we've been we're doing these uh, Zoom media press conferences that are pretty cool every week now with drivers. Uh, Carson was our first one, and you know he goes out and dominates. So I think that's a good sign. You might want to drivers might want to come and do this uh, Zoom media conference with us. Yeah, better sign up, guys. It might get yourself in victory lane. We got three three chances this weekend to get in victory lane. So get on that. Uh, Pre, uh, pre-weekend pre Zoom press conference, and you might find yourself in Victory Lane one of those three nights coming up. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about Knoxville and stuff uh, on the flip side of the interview that we have coming up. Uh, this week we were joined, before Nick hit the road with Bobby Pierce's team, we were joined in studio by uh, the chief tech inspector for the World of Outlaws NOS Energy Drink Sprint Cars, Mr. Tom Devitt. Uh, who's right at the forefront of sprint car racing technology and safety and rules making. Uh, and that was a super fun interview to do. I, I can't believe how much I learned throughout the, the time that we had him in studio. Yeah, it was really cool. I know just a couple times getting to talk with Tom on the road. I always, I'm always intrigued by kind of those really deep technical stuff that we get working on. So it was cool that he had those answers and could answer them and was willing to talk about them. So yeah, I, I thought that would be cool to have him on and uh, just kind of share with everybody. So, uh, yeah, I think everybody's going to learn quite a bit. Yeah, it was fantastic. Uh, fantastic idea on your behalf. Uh, before we get into the interview, let's just talk uh, a little bit about our sponsor. Of course, Manscaped is the official sponsor of the world. Of, the world. <laughs> oh, man, I can talk. The, the sponsor the of the podcast. official podcast of the World of Outlaws, <laughs> Open Red. Uh, I don't know if you're aware all you out there, but they just released their fourth generation performance package, which now includes the lawnmower 4.0, the brand new uh, grooming tool from Manscaped. Uh, inside of this package, not only will you find the lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, but you'll also find the weed whacker ear and nose hair trimmer, the crop preserver deodorant, crop reviver toner, uh, a pair of boxer briefs, and a travel bag to hold all of your goodies. Uh, that's a, a fantastic deal. And of course, as always, if you use the promo code OPENRED20 at Manscaped.com. You can get 20% off plus free shipping with promo code OPENRED20. Escape the shrubs and the weeds this summer and shine with Manscaped. And now, let's move on to hear from Mr. Tom Devitt. We are joined today by Tom Devitt, the technical director of the World of Outlaws NOS Energy Drink Sprint Car Series. Tom, how's it going? Pretty well. How y'all doing? Not too bad. Good. Good. We, uh, Really excited to have you on. Nick and I were game planning what we should do this week, and he said, how about Tom? Uh, we could talk about the safety of the sport, the technical aspects of the sport. I said, you know, that is an awesome, awesome idea. But I think before we do any of that, we should probably try to learn your story and how you got to where you are right now. So how did you even get started in racing? Well, I grew up in uh, Southern California, and my dad raced midgets. Uh, he ran midgets before they had cages on them. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of brave folks during that time. Uh, the, and we, in fact, we went to, when we went to the racetrack, we took the midget in the back of a 66 Ford pickup. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, raced at Ascot Park and a lot of the racetracks around Southern California that are no longer there. Uh, and then when I was 10... We moved from the Los Angeles area up to Bakersfield, which is the Central Valley of California. Uh, my dad still raced occasionally down there. 
but Bakersfield is not a big uh, open wheel town. It's more of a stock car town. And right about the time I got out of high school, they built a big half-mile pavement racetrack there called Mesa Marin. Uh, so I got involved in racing stock cars, pavement stock cars. Started with street stocks and moved into late models. And my dad and I built everything. Uh, we had our own business there with Weldon Shop and an ag hardware store. And uh, uh, we built our own race car. We built our own engines. You know, we built them. In fact, we even built our own trailer, you know, oh, wow. just to go racing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, so that's how I got involved in driving. And in the process of that... I started researching and doing a lot more work and a lot of learning on how to build engines and actually started an engine shop. Oh, cool. Uh, on the same property where we had the hardware store and the welding shop, <laughs> you know. So that kind of progressed into building engines for other people. Um, did that, ran the street stock for a few years, moved up into asphalt late models, and then uh, uh, started building the engine business from there. I was building sprint car engines. I was building late model engines. Uh building old, I like doing old car engines, hot rods and that sort of thing. Then uh, in the early 2000s, uh, my mom and dad retired. We sold the hardware store in the welding shop. I kept the engine shop going. And uh, 2004, 2005, we saw an opportunity to get out of California, which is something we really wanted to do. Uh, property values went stupid crazy. And uh, we sold our house sold the business, and I was supposed to come out here to North Carolina and go to work for Robert Yates. Oh, wow. And the day I got here, the whole deal fell apart. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so shortly after that, I was uh, working at the NASCAR Technical Institute as an instructor. Oh, okay. I taught all the high-performance engine classes there um, and uh, did that for six years till I came to work here at World Racing Group in 2012. So were you? Did you come on as the technical director yes. at that time? My wife and I actually initially interviewed for the merchandise rig. Oh wow! And we didn't get that job. <laughs> and then they called me two months later to hey, you want this job? <laughs> so jumped on that, and the rest is history. How have you seen the technical side of the sport grow since then? Obviously, um, there hasn't been, I think, too many adjustments with the chassis. They've pretty much stayed the same here and there, but with some here and there. But what what have you seen that you've changed, that you've maybe done differently or just had to adapt differently as the sprint cars The biggest grown? changes in the last nine, ten years since I've been doing this has been on the safety side. Mm -hmm. uh, we've added the axle tethers. It's one of the first things we did. Uh, the full containment seats. Uh, was I think that was 2013 or 14 when that came in. Um, the the uh, additional bars in the driver's compartment, we did that about three or four years ago. That's the, been the biggest thing uh, that has changed over the last nine, ten years since I've been doing this. And I can know that we, like with other uh, series, kind of like the All-Stars, like we kind of work together to kind of make sprint car racing safe kind of as a whole, like what we tech they kind of go with and what they tech we kind of go with and kind of work together just to make sure everything's correct and kind of uh, equal along right, everywhere. Right, right. And the transition of the All-Star Series uh, when Tony bought it really propped that series up. Uh, and their team over there follows the technical procedures exactly like I do. Um, I showed them exactly what I was doing when they were up and coming and starting, and we followed the same processes. 
so if I see a car that's been uh, teched by the All-Stars, where the Sonic tests the chassis and all that by the All-Stars, I know it's been done the same way as the way I do it. And uh, Knoxville Speedway is under that uh, same umbrella also. If we, if we start making a change or we see something out there that we need to do or we need to look at, all three of us get together and start talking. Uh, you know, are you seeing this? Mm-hmm. Am I seeing this? What am I seeing? What are you guys seeing? And we all have a conversation about it before we make any changes. How did that relationship in that way uh, come about? Was that something that when you stepped into your role, you kind of stepped into that conversation or relationship, or did, is that something that you had to basically cultivate from the ground up? It kind of evolved. Um, right after Tony bought the All-Stars, um, he'd hired Eric Walls as their technical director, which I knew him from Williams Grove. Um, and he would come around and help us now and again. And uh, I showed him and taught him a lot of stuff that I was doing. Uh, he uses basically the same forms that I do. Um, so that's, And he's progressed now to their race director. And uh, Dale Blaney and, and uh, I can't remember the other kid's name off the top of my head that do the tech stuff now, uh, Kenny, Kenny Osborne. <laughs> uh, they're doing it the same way that he did it. So it's, it's, it's been a good process as we work through that. And it just kind of evolved into what, to what it is today. What is the technical process? I know I see you walking around like this little, uh, this little device <laughs> kind of touching the chassis. What is that? What, what do you do to check That everything? is a sonic tester. Okay. And what it does is measures the thickness of the metal. Oh, wow. You know, the actual thickness, not that round of the tubing, mm-hmm. but the thickness of the metal um, to ensure that that tubing is to the specifications. Now, like the lower rail's supposed to be uh, inch and three-eighths 095 or can be inch and a half 083. Well, there is a tolerance, which is a mill spec tolerance, of 10% of that thickness. So there's a tolerance that that thickness can be. If it's below that tolerance, then we can't let that car run. Uh, in the old days, before this sonic tester was developed, uh, NHRA used to drill a little hole in the tubing hmm. and had a, like a little micrometer that would go through that hole and measure the thickness that way. <laughs> but you're not going to drill yeah. 17 holes <laughs> yeah. throughout the chassis <laughs> to check every spot. You know? um, and I take all that information and it goes into a database to where I track it by manufacturer, by, uh, by the individual team, uh, and, and the uh, – individual tubings themselves also so how much creativity are the teams allowed underneath your watch i know that obviously sprint car racing and really dirt racing as a whole is very different from say the world of pavement super late model racing for example where the tech process is extremely extremely tight we we all know the stories that we hear every december coming out of pensacola florida Mm -hmm. and we don't obviously hear that on our side it seems to be they cross over the scales they're within the weight tolerances they're good the win the win is official so what are the things that you're looking at uh, over the course of the season to keep these teams from stepping out of any sort of box with their creativity there's there's Four big things that they don't need to mess around with. That's the tires, fuel, engines, and ignition or traction control. Mm. Those are things that I look at pretty frequently. Um, Occasionally, I'll go a little deeper into something else. Uh, 
But those four things right there are the main things that we look at. And that's what's kind of nice about sprint car racing is we don't have the big bodies and all that kind of stuff. Like even on even on the dirt late model side, they got body measurements that they got to uh, tech and maintain, which can get challenging at times at some of the racetracks that we go to because you don't have a level surface to measure off of and stuff like that. Um, sprint cars, we you know we'll look at the wings too. I got templates for all the wings and and where the wings have to be, uh, the distance of the front wing to the front axle. That's a that's a, a measurement that we check regularly. But those four things, the engines, the fuel, the tires, and traction control are things biggest things that we look for. So in bringing up traction control. Um how, I guess, I guess the word I'll use is prevalent. How prevalent is it that you found people trying to, trying to sneak that underneath your nose? And are we ever going to get to a point where, like we've seen at, at Five Flag Speedway in Pensacola, where we are wanding the winner in victory lane to see if they have any sort of device on them? Well, the, one of the nice things about sprint car racing and dirt track racing in general, the track is constantly changing. And every driver and crew chief that I've talked to that has tried traction control didn't like it <laughs> <laughs> because it took away the driver's freedom to actually need to break the tires loose when they wanted to uh, and that sort of thing. It takes away from the driver's foot control that he needs for different portions of the racetrack. Maybe without uh, giving any names or naming any teams or anything like that, uh, what's, what's the most creative thing you've seen a team try to do maybe you fit into a gray area maybe maybe it worked maybe it didn't maybe we said okay yeah actually that's something we do or definitely don't do that like i know uh back in the day dan Isowski brought out this really crazy chassis and body kind of car and uh, do we see anything like that or does everybody pretty much stay within their box and- dave blaney <laughs> <laughs> dave is very creative um and i don't you may have or may not seen it but he had a uh a, a coil over car with cantilever uh uh, kind of like almost like an IndyCar type suspension. Mm. There's nothing illegal about it. He actually had me over to his shop two or three times while he was building it to make sure it's fine. Um, but David likes to create stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, he didn't run it very long. <laughs> uh, but you know, up at Sharon the other night, he had his. He shows up with his wing all crooked and everything, different than everybody else's, and, and wins. You know, uh, it, that's some of the creative stuff that uh, Dave likes to do. Uh, other folks I've seen where guys have tried to get away with narrowing the top wing in the back at high-speed racetracks to try to get it to get the back of the wing out of the wind going forward. Mm. Uh, little things like that, you know. How frequently do we end up with results like Dave had at Sharon where some of these creations work and you go, wow, that was that was good on you guys? Or, or how frequently do we have it where – you look at them and go, well, you tried something, but you guys didn't work with it tonight. <laughs> yeah, not very often. Uh, most everybody's straightforward. Gotcha. Uh, there's not a lot uh, of, uh, you know, sprint car hasn't changed a lot in 50 years, you know, mm-hmm. just little things. Uh, so it's, it's, it's makes my life a lot easier sometimes. I just got to look deeper. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think that sentence right there is a perfect segue to uh, – our next point, Nick and I have talked off show before about how there's this talk about what sprint car racing and the sprint car itself can look like in the not so distant future. What do you see the future of sprint car racing and the sprint car itself 
looking like? Because as you said just now, it hasn't changed very much in 50 years. But you're always looking at evolving and, and especially on the safety side of things. Yeah, some of the stuff that we've talked about over the last two to three years, um, had, the main thing is making the driver's compartment bigger and giving the driver more space in the driver's compartment. Uh, it's just talk at this time. Uh, but I would like to be able to do some testing with what we have now and see what we need to do to improve that. Or do we need to improve it? If we do need to improve it, how do we go down that line and then test different versions of ideas that we have? We have a really good relationship with the NASCAR R&D Center to do testing. Um, it's just coming up with the time to do it. Now, I guess for lack of a better term, is this kind of a, as NASCAR calls them, the car of tomorrow, the sprint car car of tomorrow per se, or is this really just uh, small little tweaks here and there, kind of like the the bar that was added? Yeah, I kind of see it as, as tweaks mm -hmm. uh, to the future just to make the car safer. Right. The problem that we run into once we make a change, this change has to flow out across the country. You know, or do we have a transition period? And how do we make that transition period fair for everybody? If we build a new car and it's slower, but we still allow the older car, everybody's going to run the older car until we mandate the newer car. Right. Uh, and that sometimes alienates the little guys that come out and race with us on the local tracks from the areas around the country. So then if you were to – so that, that I, I think that, that changed the question I was about to ask. Going back to the bar that you mentioned mm -hmm. uh, a, a little while ago, is that something that you mandated within the series to start with in the hopes that it would trickle down? Or do you have a conversation with the chassis manufacturers and say, you need to be adding this bar? This is the bar over by the uh, driver cockpit. Yes. Yeah, yeah, the cockpit bar that we yeah. ordered. We actually nicknamed it the Barry Bar because <laughs> uh, uh, Barry Jackson was the initiator of that. Uh, he came up with the initial idea of that bar because of some accidents that we were seeing where this top rail was actually getting down into the seat. Mm. Uh, so we came up with a solution working with Barry and the chassis manufacturers and talking to the teams throughout the year. Uh, this conversation started in February, March of that year, and we continued it throughout the year. And then the year after, which I think it was 19 or 2018 when we mandated we said, everybody's got to have that bar. Uh, no matter where we go, that bar's got to be in the car. And then we came up with three different versions of it. Because some of the cars had a what was called a safety bar in the past. Uh, we didn't want to alienate those guys. But so we could shorten up that distance between the front upright and the rear upright, we let them put a support in there. Uh, so they didn't have to throw away that car. They, all they had to do was put a support in it. Uh, then chassis manufacturers came up with kits to add those bars to existing cars and that sort of thing. So we, we uh, were able to mandate that the next year. And a pretty, pretty good uh, uh, response throughout the country when we added that bar in there. So in the talks of the tweaks that you would say you would want to make towards the future, would that be kind of the same game plan that you would take again, do you think? Depends on how big the tweak is. If it's a small mm -hmm. tweak, yes, we can do it. If it's something mm -hmm. major, uh, then we would have to come up with different provisions. And and talking with our partners throughout the country, uh, you know, uh, IRA, 
All-Stars, Knoxville, Pennsylvania, and get all of them involved, as well as, as, well as the chassis manufacturers, too, because they're the ones that are going to have to build it. Right, so it's not just a World of Outlaw thing. It's no. it's a world sprint car thing. Exactly, because there's so many so many sprint car associations across the country that just take our our rule book, mm-hmm. maybe make fine tweaks to it to suit their area, uh, but they just they take our rule book and use it. Sorry, Nick. No, I was gonna say, how often do we hear from uh, chassis manufacturers maybe trying something different on their own? Do you, do they call us up and say, "Hey, we're thinking of doing this design. Is this okay? What do you guys think of this?" Yes, we've fortunately have everybody with that mindset. If they're going to change something, let us know ahead of time. Um, let us know why, mm-hmm. what it's going to cost, and then we sit down and make the decision whether it's going to be legal or not. Um, when you're making these changes how much pressure do you feel obviously on the safety side to get it right but knowing that so many other organizations are looking at at your rule book um for guidance how much pressure are you feeling to get it right well that's where i like the testing aspect of everything right test it test it and test it till we know we got it right um that hasn't been the practice in the past. Unfortunately, we've got very smart people around with us, with the teams, the chassis manufacturers, um, and team owners and, and drivers that give us all feedback. And everybody works well together where we come up with a good solution. So not a lot of pressure once we make the decision. We're pretty confident that we're okay. Now, have we screwed up? Yeah. <laughs> and we own up to it, you know? <laughs> I'll see, along with the chassis, another thing new that we've actually been seeing and continue to be a development in the sport is uh, the inclusion of basically new engine manufacturers. Also, we've seen mm-hmm. Ford come in, Toyota. Uh, what is that process like? Is, is it kind of the same thing with the chassis? They come to us say, hey, we had this idea of this 410 sprint car engine we want to do. do. Do they work with us to in, developing, in developing that? Yes. We have a uh, engine builder's guide, okay, which is kind of an expansion of the rule book itself that fine-tunes what the engine can be allowed. And it's a pretty tight box. Uh, and when Ford decided to come into the sport, or Tony decided to bring Ford into the sport, um, Andy Durham, Tony, myself, uh, and a couple of other folks, they came up with what they wanted to run and submitted it to us. I go through it and make sure that it's within the rule book and say, yeah, go ahead, go for it. Um, Toyota did the same thing. Both Ford and Toyota wanted to use their existing NASCAR stuff, and it doesn't fit in the box. We said no. (laughs) How frequently with Ford do you have – or I guess the better question is when you talk about that box, are you trying to keep a manufacturer close to a a horsepower number that the the other engine manufacturer is already at? Uh, to not give let them come in and have them have like a major advantage or something like that. Are you dynoing them kind of frequently to keep them within a certain range or anything like that? Well, one of the beauties of sprint car and dirt car racing is that it's very easy to overpower the racetrack. Sure. So building more horsepower is not necessarily a better thing. Mm-hmm. Um, our our engines today are between nine hundred and nine hundred and fifty horsepower. The majority of them are. Uh, yes, they they when they initially initially built those engines, ran them on the dyno. They showed me their dyno sheets, um, and it's on par with everything else. 
uh, it's incredible to make that much horsepower out of that small of an engine right now. <laughs> you know, with the, with the technology that we allow them to use. Now, if we allowed them to do different things with the cylinder heads and stuff like that, like NASCAR has done, the power will probably go up. Uh, but the cost will too. Uh, and it's a sprint car engine right now is between sixty and sixty-five thousand dollars, and we don't need to be any more than that. Right. Uh, and Toyota and Ford have stayed in line with that also. With this continuing continuing development of just the engines in general, do you see a point where they get to developing a bigger horsepower engine just in general, whether whether it's Ford, Toyota, or just an engine manufacturer in general, but that still actually works? Uh, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. With with the the technology of the sprint car and the confinement that we have on the engine, I mean, it, it's basically a, a late 1950s design is what mm-hmm. it is. And uh, we've, if we keep it in that box, I'm not going to say the horsepower is not going to go up, but it's not going to go up a whole lot. You know, we've, we've, it's taken us 15, 20 years to gain 200 horsepower, <laughs> you know, and that's all in the cylinder heads and so with cylinder head design and making it easier to design a cylinder head. And like and, you said, at some point they're going to have so much power, they're not going to have any traction to use absolutely. that power. So it's kind of pointless. I mean, they're there right now. Yeah. I know, like you said, you worked on and built a sprint car engine yourself. What's the hardest part of that process, just getting it to a point where you can put that horsepower there but still make it work and still make sure the car's getting the tires to the track and grip and everything? Yeah, it's, it's all in the camshaft, mm-hmm. uh, the camshaft and the sonar heads, and tailoring it to the driver, the racetrack, uh, so many variables, so many variables. I mean, one driver likes the power right away, another driver likes the power to come on a little slower, so he has more control of it. You know, it's just a lot of it has to do with the driver and how the team sets the car up, too. A lot of this conversation has been about looking towards the future. And a lot of other forms of motorsports have been doing so uh, in in one aspect being electrification in the engines. Is that anything or, or something that you could see at some point coming to sprint car racing, having to come to sprint car racing like it is in other forms, or how would that even how would that even work in sprint car racing? Do I don't think? think I'd see it in my lifetime. Uh, where are you going to put the batteries? <laughs> Great point. <laughs> That's more weight. You don't want yeah, more weight. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, we'd like to see all the cars have fire bottles on them, uh, but we're fighting that weight issue. You know, you're talking about a 10-pound fire bottle. Where are you going to put it? You know, there's not a lot of places to put it on a, on a sprint car. So that's, that's, yeah, I don't see, I don't think, I don't, not in my lifetime, we're not going to see an electric sprint car in the world of outlaws. So I've heard, uh, I know someone up in New York one time said they were trying to develop an electric sprint car. Has anybody ever come to us and said, hey, we have this idea for an electric sprint car. What do you guys think? Not to me. <laughs> no, I, I haven't seen that. <laughs> I tell you, this is, this is why I have come to love sprint car racing so much because every other form of racing is, changed so much to something that i don't recognize anymore and i still have what i recognize here which is just raw power and men and women having to harness that power yeah the way yeah the way racing was uh, is supposed to be and has been for so long even even the midget racing industry has gone you know where computer controlled ignition and computer controlled fuel injection and uh all that which i think toyota brought that into it Mm -hmm. even the the cylinder head that toyota uses on their midget engine is a design that they use for the craftsman truck series oh wow (laughs) you know uh but where 
in the in that in that arena, they don't have a lot of restrictions on it like what we do. And that's why we I I love sprint car racing because it's still that pure, basically what it was back in the '60s when I was growing up racing, and my dad was racing. You know, I think that's before what, they had cages on them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's one of the coolest things of the sport is that you can look back to the '60s and so and like you said, it, there, there hasn't been much change like that sprint car racing that you knew yeah. and love is, is still this and it's cool to even hear the future of it. It'll still be that way. If if any change, it'll be small changes. It's not yeah. going to be a huge. Uh, different looking sprint car car tomorrow kind of thing it's, it's still going to be the sprint cars we know and love yeah yeah exactly one thing that i've taken away from this conversation uh is how important the safety aspect of the sport is to you and obviously i expected that to be the case but um when we do i mean it's sprint car racing it's inherently dangerous on the what seems to be lately and, and i knock on wood rare times that there has been a serious crash where someone has gotten hurt or worse what 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 goes through your mind throughout that sort of night like are are you thinking are you trying to look at the car and think what they should have done differently could have done differently or maybe what the track could have done differently um, just what sort of things are you looking at to prevent that sort of crash from happening the next time we're on the racetrack? Yeah, f- a lot of the stuff that we've looked at over the last five to six years is the facilities. And we've gone to the racetrack owners. Carlton's really, really involved with that, and Mike Hess is also, uh, as making the facilities as safe as possible. You know, start making some updates to stuff. You don't have to go spend $100,000, $200,000 right away. Let us see some improvements, you know, blunt blunt walls and stuff like that. Put some protection around it and things like that. Um, my part of it, if we have a serious accident, I'll go examine the race car and just see if I can determine what happened, um, see if there's anything we can do to prevent it from happening again uh, with, you know, with my welding background and my performance background and my fabrication background. Um, I can look at things and see, hey, maybe we can fix that. Or maybe there's nothing we can do, you know. But uh, I, I, I lock that stuff back up in, a, in a, a file in the back of my head and say, you know, when we get to the next car or if we build it, I want to test this mm-hmm. and see if we can make an improvement on that, from that to keep that from happening again. So with the relationship that we now have with the NASCAR R&D Center, which is literally right around the corner from where we are right now, um, you know, when NASCAR has a, a really bad crash, think Ryan Newman at, at Daytona, 2020 they're taking that car and bringing it back to the Mm -hmm. R&D center are you trying to do something similar to that or are you going to their race shop to examine it or are you just doing it in the pit area there because obviously we're on the road for 90 races right and that's i usually just do it there at the racetrack do what i can take a bunch of pictures and and then uh evaluate from there uh i might get the sonic tester back out and look at certain areas of the chassis that aren't specified in the rule book and see what those bars, how thick they are, see what the chassis manufacturer has done with that, if I see that need. Um, our relationship with the NASCAR R&D Center, has, uh, it's just kind of in, in the, the beginning stages. Uh, after Ryan Newman's crash, that delayed some of the testing I wanted to do, <laughs> uh, which was unfortunate, but I ended up getting to it. It, it. A lot of what we have to do with them has to balance with their schedule and my schedule. Mm-hmm. So I try to do as much as I can in the wintertime. Uh, We've, we did some uh, last year, we did that got the, the what was delayed. I was testing some tethers 
the axle tethers. There were some new ones that were out, and I didn't have numbers on the existing ones that we used other than what the manufacturer had given me, which I had to just trust them. And what they gave me was correct to what I saw in my test, but now I have my own data. Right. That's that's the biggest thing that I want to do is have my own data. And they've opened up the facility over there to us to do any testing that we need to do. How do you go about that process? Do you like? Do you need to have a car with you in the R&D center to be able to do that? Because obviously – there aren't too many sprint car teams that are local down here. We have Casey Kane Racing. Like, are you asking them to, like, hey, can you bring one of your cars over to Concord so we can just kind of take a look and do some some of the testing that we want to do in the off season? Well, what we would have to do, and I've got I've got uh, a couple of chassis manufacturers that will build me a chassis for testing purposes. They've got a huge machine over there. I can crush just about anything. <laughs> uh, that sounds like a lot of fun, to be honest with you. Yeah, they've <laughs> they've built it for testing their cars. And when I looked at it, I can fit a sprint car in there. <laughs> and they're game for it, too. They're game for it, too. So we can we can push on different areas of the chassis and see what's going to fail and then see what we can do to improve on it. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. That is actually really awesome. Um, Nick, I just lost the lost my train of thought completely. <laughs> I saw it. I was there, and then and it, it was just gone. Left. Yeah, <laughs> I was trying to find it, and it... Just gone. Just got crushed in the crusher. Yeah, yeah must have. <laughs> it just sounded so cool that it just completely blanked the rest of my mind. Please take it away from me, Nick. I got nothing right now. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, for the rest of this season, what what are you looking for? Is there anything more so that uh, you're looking to to learn or develop, or are we just kind of getting through the rest of the season and making it's sure everything's going as smooth as possible? <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, Nothing's. Uh, we got a couple things working right now that I don't want to talk about yet. Uh, hopefully, I'll have some more information on this today. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's there's not a lot of extra stuff going on mm-hmm. right now. Uh, the season's going well. Yeah, uh, car counts are good. Uh, not just for us, but for everybody. Crowds are pretty good for everybody. I think everybody's getting back out into the world and let's go racing again. You know, we got to do racing last year. We got to do a lot of stuff last year. A lot of people didn't get to do. Right. Yeah. Uh, and we feel fortunate for that. Uh, and this year's just going great guns so far. I don't know how you feel or how you would view this on your side of the equation. Um, but I feel like as, as a, I can't even say outside observer anymore, um, but I'll use that term. As an outside observer who's mostly just a fan who happens to be lucky enough to sort of work in the sport in some way, shape, or form. I feel like over the last few years, we've been uh, starting to see the beginning of like a a sprint car renaissance, almost like we're entering a new golden age of sprint car racing. Do you kind of feel that way? And and do you feel that that's starting to even come back even after the struggles of what 2020 was? Yeah. um, The younger drivers that are coming into the sport right now are very talented. And uh, the sport is in a really good place right now. And I think it's in a really good place for the future also. Um, it's – it's. I'm, I'm really impressed with the younger drivers that are coming up right now. And the competition is so equal right now too. Um, it's it's makes for a great series. Yeah, you're seeing that all over the place. We've got a lot of great guys uh, this year in general. Then just you look – uh, over what's happening in PA and just a lot of the the local stuff you can watch on Dirt Vision. Just there's a lot of really good talent out there. A lot of just good cars in general too. Yeah, and that's part of the conversation that 
Toyota brought in to us. Because, you know, Toyota has their midget program, mm. and then they have their NASCAR program. They have nothing in between. And that's part of the reason they wanted to come in and be involved with the World Outlaws. So they had a stepping stone from the midget series up into a sprint car. So they can take drivers through that process. What is the, um, I guess, acceptance of new manufacturers or people coming in trying to build Fortin engines? Also, we've had this one kind of the same thing for so long now, Ford, Toyota. Are we hearing from other people that want to get involved too? Um, I heard a rumor of Honda, but I haven't seen anything. Mm. Um, when Ford came back and the Toyota conversation started, I got a couple people that were going to uh, want to build Dodges again. Oh, wow. But that never materialized. Mm. Uh, but uh, I think having more manufacturers in sport is great. It, it's more exposure for us. Yeah. You know, uh, than just being a Chevrolet and everything. For sure. And they're, sure. they're, they've, they're going through, you know, Ford's getting through their, their hardships. Toyota's going through their hardships right now. They, they had one out in a car and it lasted three nights and broke, <laughs> you know, but that's what you're going to have with, uh, building a completely new engine program, you got to put it out there and test it and find out what the failures are and then fix it. Right. Yeah, we're definitely uh, seeing the trial and error. It's not just a simple put together and throw it out there. It's right. uh, years of development, pretty much. Right. Right. And then and Toyota's been well. COVID kind of messed them up a little bit too, but they'd had an engine out a little bit sooner. But uh, with their resources that Toyota has, it took them a year to design the thing. Now, are they just trying to start from scratch and build their own thing? Or are they taking what's already there and just trying to adapt it no, a little they bit? Had, they had to start from scratch. Oh, wow. They had nothing that would work in a 410 sprint car. Hmm. Yeah. And it went went from uh, concept to 3D drawings to actual castings. Now, are we involved throughout that whole process? Yes. Or are they kind of show, oh, cool. Yeah. yeah, they share all the information with me. Um I was supposed to, last spring when we go out to California, I was supposed to go to TRD and see what they were doing, but obviously we didn't go out there. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I was going to go this spring. We didn't go again. So I'll, I'll make it out there. So maybe maybe, in the fall. maybe this yeah. fall. Looks like yeah. the fall is looking good this year. Yeah. It'll yeah. be cool. So how are these manufacturers working with the private engine builders, Ford and Toyota, like as they're, as they're developing? Is this coming straight from... The, the manufacturer, uh, I guess as, as NASCAR calls it, the, the OEMs, to the race team, to the racetrack, or are they working with uh, a private engine builder that some of these teams typically historically have worked with to try to build it hand-in-hand -hand with them? Like, how's that working from what you've observed? Well, there's two different philosophies. Ford and Tony has pretty much taken the bill on doing the Ford himself um, with Andy Durham and Ron Shaver. They're, they've worked together to build that. Toyota's taken a different process is where TRD has developed the block casting and the cylinder head casting and then has sent it out to the industry, uh, Speedway engines in, in Indianapolis and Ryder engines up in Pennsylvania to actually build the engines oh, wow. and finish it, um, which I really like that process because I think that's going to give them more exposure too. Um, and... It lets me have two different shops to go to in different parts of the country to see how the progress is going too, so I can actually put my hands on parts and see what they're doing and and, and talk with them. Yeah, it's really cool just to have just to just to see this come into the sport and maybe grab 
fans from different areas like, oh, I'm a big Ford fan. Oh, let me check this out. I'm a big Absolutely. Toyota fan. Oh, let me check this yeah. out now. And yeah. uh, just uh, just seeing that come in and grow. And yeah, it'll be curious to see if we have uh, these little uh, manufacturer engine wars or something like that. We'll say, oh, the Toyotas <laughs> are up front this week. Oh, the Fords are up front this week. Oh, the Chevys are back up front this week kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you got to think about it, too. Look how long Chevrolet's been built yeah. in, in a 410 Sprint car. And now you got two and a half, three years on the Ford and less than a year on the Toyota. How long is it going to take them to get, you know, the Ford's getting really close right now. They're getting really close to where they're consistent all the time. Right. They've solved a lot of their problems. Uh, I think Toyota's still going to have to go through those growing pains. I I think, Tom, we have taken up uh, a lot of your time here. We know you're, you're quite busy. You've got to continue getting prepared. I think you're changing tires out on some of the uh, the trailers and stuff that we have out back. And that then, job that job's done. Okay, well, there we go. But I know you got to get ready to get uh, get off to Knoxville. Get on a plane tomorrow. Weekend. So uh, I think we've taken up enough of your time and have learned so much from this conversation. Definitely. At least I know I have. So, Tom, th- thank you so much. Thank you thank guys you. for having me again. This yeah, is, appreciate this it. This has been great. And, you know, anytime, just give me a holler. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. Like I said at the start of the show, when we introduced uh, Tom as our guest this week, I just learned so much from that conversation with him. Uh, the biggest thing I learned, I think, there, Nick, was just how far into the future they're trying to look. Everyone, all the powers that be in sprint car racing, uh, as far as making these things safer and and updating their technology, but also being having the 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 forethought to keep them looking like a sprint car. Right, exactly. We're not trying, like we've said in there, we're not trying to create this massively different car tomorrow, sprint car. Like a sprint car is still going to be a sprint car for quite a while, it seems like. We're not going to see electric ones or hybrid ones. We're, we're going to see big powered V8 sprint cars that look like uh, bodies with a big ass wing on them. <laughs> Which is phenomenal because that's what we all fell in love with, right? Exactly. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, I, I've just I've said it so many times on this in this show. I've just really come to fall in love with sprint car racing uh, because it's just it's so pure, uh, it's raw, and it's fun. And what was also fun was the two races from this past weekend. Late race passes for the win. Um, Carson Macedo had himself a lot of fun. Got the win on Friday night and Saturday night. Took the lead on Friday night with I think just like three laps to go, and then the last lap pass on. Carrie Madsen on Saturday night to cap off the sweep. That's a heck of a weekend right there. I mean, that's pretty stout. I mean, we all knew that 41 car was strong at Knoxville, but it seemed like they yeah. just, again, take it to another level. Uh, obviously, it shows almost obviously Carson's good there, and not to say anything against it, but it almost doesn't matter who's in that car. That, that's going to be fast at Knoxville. Yeah, that, that 41 gets around that track. Uh, that is uh, for certain. Uh, looking through the rundown here from Friday night. Let me make sure I'm actually on Friday night before I give us the wrong rundown. Yes, I am. Uh, Carson Macedo scored the win, started in third, picked up the $10,000 check. Logan Schuhart finished in second after starting fifth. Kerry Madsen started on the pole, finished in third. Donnie Schatz finished in fourth after starting second. And Gio Selzy went from 10th to 5th to round out the top five. Brad Sweet finished in sixth after starting in fourth. David Gravel started in seventh and finished in seventh. Brian Brown fell from sixth to eighth where he finished. Aaron Reitzel went from 14th to ninth. And Ayrton Jeniton rounded out the top ten after starting in eighth. Your lap leaders on the night, Kerry Madsen, led laps one through 21. 
Carson Macedo laps 22 through 25, and the most important one in there, of course, being number 25. James McFadden was your KSE Hard Charger Award winner on the night. Gained eight spots to finish. Uh, Where did he finish? 15th, 23rd to 15th. So, hey, not a a great night, but not a bad night either for the number nine of James McFadden. Uh, Moving on to Saturday night. Once again, as we already mentioned, it's Carson Macedo in the number 41, scoring another $10,000 check. Uh, with uh, the the last lap pass to take the win on Saturday, Kerry Madsen finished in second. Sheldon Hoddenshield finished in third. Gio Selzy with another top five run for the second night in a row finished in fourth. And Logan Schuhart finished in fifth. Aaron Reitzel sixth. Brent Mark seventh. James McFadden eighth. Parker Price Miller in ninth. And Brian Brown rounded out the top ten. Uh, your lap leaders on Saturday night, Carson Macedo led laps one through five, and the most important one, lap 25. Kerry Madsen led everything in between laps six through 24, and your KSC Hard Charger Award winner on the night was Donnie Schatz, who gained seven spots to go from 19th to 12th. It's pretty cool to see uh, Kerry have a good run in the second TSR car. I'm wondering if maybe... Uh, even not just their team, a lot of teams that they're trying things uh, there for Knoxville Nationals. Maybe Kerry had something a little different that maybe they can uh, give to Donnie or share with Donnie and uh, maybe just getting ready for Knoxville Nationals. I kind of wonder that with uh, Casey Kane racing there too. Obviously, Casey was racing. Brad had some okay nights, but it seems like they do that sometimes. Like they have okay nights at Knoxville, but then they'll do really well. So mm-hmm. who knows? Maybe they're maybe some of these guys weren't showing all their cards just yet there. Well, I'll tell you, with Brad's uh, just okay nights this past weekend, uh, it's really tightened up the points again. No, big time. Um, I mean, yeah, big time might even be an understatement. The gap now is just 48 points from Brad Sweet to David Gravel in second. 60 points is the gap from Brad Sweet to Carson Macedo in third. 134 points back is Donnie Schatz in fourth. Sheldon Hoddenshield is fifth, 138 out. And Logan Schuhart is sixth, 166 points out. Having your top six all within 170 points of each other after 30 races, that's pretty tight now. Yeah, I think we mentioned this in a previous uh, episode that, you know, it's not uncommon for Brad to go on some little bit of streaks of uh, not picking up a win. Like last year, you know, he got, well, I think it was eight wins or so, but after that eighth win, he didn't win for 18 straight races or something. He's on uh, nine races now with no wins, but these are stats he's probably not going to want to hear. Uh, and those last nine races, guys have been gaining, as we just mentioned, quite a bit on him. Carson Macedo has gained 62 points on him. Donnie's gained 50, and Gravel's gained 22. Wow. They're coming. Yes. Yeah, they definitely are. And, and Donnie's doing that, again, without having visited Victory yeah. Lane. So I mean, if he can break that drought and, and get into Victory Lane and the wins start to come along with the consistency that he's getting, I mean, there, there's no still no counting out the 10-time champion at this point. Yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, Gravel could have been... If he can clean up some of these uh, thing uh, finishes that are top tens and make them top fives and podiums on these nights that Brad has some bad nights, he could have easily been the points leader already. It just so happens when Brad had a bad night, Gravel wasn't that spectacular either. So it just kind of kept Brad in the lead. But So it's a little bit of luck there for Brad, I guess, in that sense. Yeah, and I can't remember if you might have just said it, but the fact that Brad hasn't scored a podium in nine races uh, is yeah. also a, a big-time surprise. Definitely. Yeah, see, in the last nine races, 14th, 12th, 7th, 5th, 5th, 7th, 5th, 6th, 16th. And, and and that's the 
the inconsistency that we normally don't see from that 49 car. I mean, a, a sixth here and there, a fourth, you know, those are those are runs that you need to have over the course of a season because you're not going to podium every single night. But those 14ths and stuff like that, we don't normally see that. Yeah, those that's surprising. Um, you only finished out of the top 10 with like a really small handful of times last year. You might have already equaled that number now. Yeah, I uh, I think you're right there. Uh, as we look ahead to the rest of June's calendar for the World of Outlaws and Austin Energy Drink Sprint Cars, the greatest show on dirt rolls into West Burlington, Iowa's 34 Raceway on Thursday, June 17th. It's a triple header weekend for the World of Outlaws as they run Friday night at the Dubuque Fairground Speedway in Dubuque, Iowa, and then on Saturday night at Beaver Dam Raceway in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. So that's three nights of racing uh, in a row for the World of Outlaws, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday this weekend. Then it's only one night off. They get Sunday night off and then turn around and race on Monday and Tuesday, June 21st and 22nd at the Houston Speedway uh, as part of the Houston's and Jackson Motorplex showdown week. You've got the Houston's 50 on Monday and Tuesday. And then we follow that up with three nights of action for the Echo Jackson Nationals at Jackson Motorplex in Jackson, Minnesota on Thursday, June 24th, Friday, June 25th, and Saturday, June 26th. And then just like that, we are already more than halfway through the calendar year, and we enter the month of July. Holy crap, Nick! This year's flying by. July already. Yeah, it's wild that to even think that. I remember just thinking, Jackson National. Oh, that's like a month away. Oh, that's a month away. Oh no, it's here. It's <laughs> it's here. It's, yeah. uh, it's summertime. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's crazy how fast this uh, this year is already blowing by, and uh, it's it's just gonna keep doing that, especially for you as you return to. Life on the road with Bobby Pierce's team the rest of this week. So uh, I'm sure they're probably getting frustrated that their new crew member is uh, slacking off and not working right now. So we'll let you go and get back with them. And uh, we'll catch up with you and everyone else when you get back. Yeah, I'll be back for a couple of days, hit the road again here and there, here and there. And uh, we'll have some fun along the way. Ah, it sounds like a plan to me. Uh, good luck keep keeping after those uh, checkered flags. And uh, to all of you listeners out there, thank you so much, as always, for tuning in. Uh, we always appreciate uh, you listening each and every single week here uh, on Open Red. Uh, as always, if you are near any of those racetracks that we just rattled off, we would urge you to go to worldofoutlaws.com and try to buy yourself some tickets. The only races that you can't actually buy tickets for on worldofoutlaws.com that are coming up, I believe, are at Houston's and Jackson Motorplex, so you may have to hit the track websites for event tickets of for those events. Again, easy for me to say. Uh, but otherwise, if you can't make it to any of those races, as always, we urge you to get yourself a fast pass with Dirt Vision, uh, whether it's the Platinum Pass, which is going to be a great deal coming up because we're not too far away from the Knoxville Nationals, and that's included in the Platinum Pass. Uh, you got a good uh, example of what the Knoxville Nationals could look like already. It's going to be pretty exciting. Absolutely. Uh, so you're not going to want to miss it. So get yourself the Platinum Pass to Dirt Vision uh, and make sure that you watch each and every race if you can't make it to any of them. But if you can, we urge you to go because there is nothing like the sights and sounds and smells of the World of Outlaws, NOS Energy Drink Sprint Cars. They call it the greatest show on dirt for a reason, and you're going to want to see it in person. Also, don't forget, Father's Day coming up, 20% off everything at the uh, store.wordvaultlaws.com. So get your dad some nice Word Vault Laws gear. Yes, great idea. I'm, I'm going to go do that myself, actually. Um, Better hurry up. Yeah, I'm going to do it myself. We're going to wrap right now so I can go make some, uh, do some shopping, Nick.
Cool. Sounds good. All right. You have fun out with Bobby Pierce's team. Uh, to all of you again, thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch up with you next time. Bye-bye. Hashtag open red.